Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about um, something that actually has the potential to be kind of controversial among writers. Um, and uh, we talked in the past about um, being inspired by others and um, the line between um, your own inspiration and plagiarism and, um, and, and, and how that line can kind of move and change depending on what you do. Uh, and and where is plagiarism? You know, where does plagiarism start? Is it when you take somebody's whole plot and write your own story around their plot? Is that plagiarism? Some people certainly think so. I I don't know how I feel about it. I think in fandom it's a little blurry because we do take a lot of plot elements from canon for our own work. Um, and, and what does that mean? I mean, I've seen people rewrite the entire Philosopher's Stone. Plot point for plot point. Is that a derivative work? Or is that... Um, it's certainly not transformative. Say, yeah, it's not transformative for sure. <laughs> and if it's not transformative, it's not fan fiction. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about... Um, so, but to start with, and we've talked about this before in the pod, in, in the past on the podcast, but for those of you who have not listened to a podcast in the past where we've talked about it, there are seven basic plots. There could be nine, depending on your point of view. And they are, number one, go ahead. Okay, I agree with, I agree with the nine model, though somebody else stripped it down to six. Um, but I agree with the nine model more than the, than the seven, because I do think he deliberately overlooked um stuff that didn't fit into his elitist little brain but i I agree go ahead let's let's take number one overcoming the monster um number two rags to riches number three the quest number four the voyage and the return number five comedy number six tragedy number seven rebirth number eight rebellion against the one number nine mystery I think that even if you took out re Rebellion Against the One and put it with Overcoming the Monster, which I guess there is an argument for that, I don't know how Mystery was wasn't on the list to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably because a true Mystery doesn't have enough... Um, it's just such a... Especially the time that he was doing this analysis of these books, um, Mystery is a very different... That That's where you get that objective narrative, potentially. Um, that And so there's less... Um, internal development of a character and it seemed like he was kind of biased against that mm. um i mean i guess you could call a mystery a quest sort of maybe maybe now vonnegut um did a different analysis of um these and his his assessment was supposed to naming them that way were things like um rags to riches tragedy riches to rags um, man in a Hole, which is the Fall Rise, the Rise Fall, which would be more like Icarus, Rise Fall Rise, um, Fall Rise Fall. So he he looked at them in terms of um, the arc of the character, the 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 kind of the narrative arc, like what's going on, as opposed to. But they basically are looking at the same thing. He just wanted less of them overall. And the thing is here's where it gets muddy to me in fan fiction is that when you have a dozen authors and they're all going off and they're writing their idea of let's say um 
the quest. Okay. And they're all writing that kind of story type. These nine story stories conceivably are going to have some similar, similar elements in their, in their narrative arc, but they're going to probably beyond that, not look at all alike. However, if you have nine Harry Potter authors with the same group of characters writing a story about the quest, there's a chance that you might wind up with some stories that are remarkably similar. I mean, I would say 95% of the time you're going to come up with story. I mean, all the stories are going to feature um, them searching for the Horcruxes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and the thing is, and there might be one or two outliers, but what happens in fandom that, and yes, there these problems exist in original fiction too. People will get wrapped around the axe and go, this person stole my plot. And it's like, well, but 16 people did it before you did it. So you stole their plot. I never read their books. Well, they didn't read your book either, bitch. Shut up. <laughs> it's because there's only so many ways. There's so much that has been written that there's only so many. The point is there's only so many ways to approach these plots, right? And so there's some things, some common tropes, tropes that are particularly specific to certain story types that are going to get explored over and over and over again because people like them. Tropes bring a feeling of familiarity. So it does happen in original fiction, but not like it does in fan fiction. In fan fic, and the reason is because you have that same core set of characters being used over and over and over again. So you can only put Harry Potter and Hermione Granger and Draco Malfoy and Ron Weasley on the journey and the return or on the quest or on overcoming the monster. So many, t you know, there's only so many ways to do that and have it feel different. And so what happens is people get very wrapped around the axle. That's my idea. I'm like, nah, bitch, Tolkien did it before you. <laughs> and he did it better. <laughs> um, but also what I would say is that sometimes a premise can be so popular that it becomes a trope. Yeah. I mean, and Sentinels Are Known would be a, a really obvious premise that became a trope. Mm -hmm. um, I'm having a hard time thinking of another one suddenly. And like, it's like, what? My brain just went blank. Harry's shopping trip is um, a trope, but I'm not sure it's a premise. Um, because it's a very specific event that happens in a lot of independent Harry stories. And the independent Harry is definitely a premise that became a trope. Like there was this where I was like, you know what? I'm going to make Harry really super fucking independent. He's going to get all the money and all the titles. And he's going to go on a shopping trip and da 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 da. And he's going to kick, he's, he's going to tell Dumbledore to kiss his ass. And is anybody else losing me besides Rogue? No, I'm, I'm hearing you fine. So go ahead and might want to pop out and come back in, Rogue. Yeah. Um, and so that became part of a larger trope. And the big trope is independent Harry. And it, uh, Harry, who isn't worried about the Dursleys taking his money, so he goes and shops. Or a Harry that isn't worried about Dumbledore monitoring his, his account at, or he's not, you know, he's just like, that's part of that independence trope. And you right. get into the super Harry, it's also a trope that, that started out as part, I think probably part of the independent premise. Um, and then you have time travel and revenge. Um, these all, um, these ideas, these small ideas became um, huge tropes in the fandom. And I was in one of the groups on Facebook and we talk, this guy was, this person was trying to talk out an idea. And um, we mentioned a couple of different things. And he said, well, I don't want to do anything that <laughs> hasn't that been done a lot. And I'm like, so? 
it's all been done a lot. There's nothing new in the Harry Potter fandom. Nothing. Nothing. And even if it hasn't been done, the thing is, even if you happen to find, you've stumbled across, oh, nobody has done this with this character, but maybe they've done that with another character in Harry Potter. There's a ton of characters in Harry Potter. I mean, you could say that all the world is pretty unique in my body of work. That Harry is not the central character. Um, he's not the driving force behind the destruction of Voldemort. Um, even though he will be the the, um, the weapon that Ragnar eventually uses to destroy um, Voldemort, in a way, but that's not new. That's not new, unique. I'm not. I'm not the first person to write a story where somebody other than Harry Potter was the central character, or the first person to write a time travel where somebody besides Harry Potter time travels, or so. It's not. It's not unique in the idea. But I hope it's pretty interesting in the um, in the execution, yeah. And that's where you need to focus. Is is you, even if you tell, even if you you don't want to tell the same. The goal is never to take the same basic plot that somebody else. Saying there's seven basic plots in the world is actually a little bit of a misnomer. There's seven basic maybe narrative arcs, or there's seven basic premises, but there's a billion plots. And so I don't think the goal is ever to take somebody else's wholesale plot and tell your version of it. To me, that that right there is where we start getting into the idea of idea theft, where you're using their beats and their narrative structure and their plot points. And that that is weird. And their pairing and their original characters. Um, and you're not giving attribution. But if you want to tell... Um, Let's say you want to tell Draco, Harry, Hermione time travel story like Darkly Loyal, all right? You want to tell that kind of story. I mean, if you want to tell a story where, if you're inspired by that, you want to tell a Harry, Draco, Hermione time travel story, and that's your jumping off premise, that's fine, right? But to to have, if you use the same structure that Kira uses, and you use the same kind of ritual that she used, and downright even using her ritual, um, or and you do the bit about maybe, I don't know, the fusing of the um, Deathly Hallows with the trio, I mean, that's when it starts to get a little bit squiffy. It's like, what are you doing? Because that's taking somebody else's expression of an idea and taking a lot of it into, your, into yourself. So it's like, where are the lines? And... And I think to some degree, especially in fan fiction, and we're all, you're all in the honor system, right? Only you can say if you were inspired by what you read from somebody else. And only you can say for sure, well, depend, I mean, direct plagiarism is pretty easy to tell. But um, also, you know, I mean, you need to be careful about using characters from somebody else and claiming that you didn't borrow them from them and make sure that they're not their original characters, right? So, you know. Because that's crazy cakes. And we've seen people do that, right? They'll go like, oh, and I just use canon characters. Well, but except I'm seeing an original character in your work that belongs to the somebody else <laughs> created. You just mistook it for a canon, canon character, character. Which is a compliment to the author who created it. But, you know, you do you, boo. But, but the thing is, in fan fiction, the reason why sometimes things can start to feel a little bit more like this person stealing my idea is because you're, if you're telling the same basic premise, you got, you've all got the basic premise, same premise, and you've got the same core group of characters, you might wind up with a very similar story and it might happen very organically, right? Two people can have 
very similar idea derived completely independently of one another. Sometimes a whole, like, you could present 12 people with go do this thing, and 10 of them might have the same, go the same direction with it. But that's what I think we did prove is that even when we did start with the same exact premise, um, that and even when we ended up in the same direction, our works were very distinct. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the best example is probably the Betty Ross one. Where we went in the same direction. And yet, by the end of it, we were in two separate places. But still in the same vicinity. We were sharing, well, yeah. we were sharing like, um, a building, but we weren't in the same apartment. <laughs> Right. The other, there's the other one that started off very similar was to such a so similar to such a degree that when people describe it, I don't know which story they're talking about. The was the one? No, the Ian Edgerton. Oh, Tony one that started off so similar that and I ended up in bed. You're welcome, and she she took them to a bar where they had an existential crisis together. Yeah. So we went we went in a completely different direction. The thing is if you don't if you if you don't remember, if all you remember was the gun range stuff, you wouldn't know which story was which. And also they each had a con- we each had a confrontation with Gibbs after the fact. So if somebody and the thing is somebody described the story that they were looking for on a grip fic finder group with just those elements, right? They didn't and so there they without describing the bar or the sex just based on the basic description of Tony and Ian have a confrontation around Tony requalifying. And then Tony goes back and talks to Gibbs about it. Based upon that description, you wouldn't know which of the two stories it was. And these two stories were written. um, These two stories were written completely independently because we're working on them at the same time. That was the point to have a similar premise to, to have the same premise and to go in it and see what would happen. We were having an experiment. So that's where all those stories came from. For those of you who don't know with the same premise that me and Jilly and Lady Holder did. Um, she didn't do. She, did you do the Edgerton one Lady Holder? Because I don't think you did. Okay. Yeah, she did do the one where John tried to retire, which bless his heart. <laughs> he didn't get to retire any of those fix. No. Um. So and so in some of them we and some of them we got we started with the same. Now some prompts are very narrow. They set a certain tone, right? Like the very first prompt we did, it set timeline. It was the MCU one, I think. It set the mm-hmm. timeline. I mean, it, it the circumstances, who the characters involved are going to be, and so the, the more generic the prompt, the less likely you're going to have big similarities like that. But some stories, they all should show that even if we independently come to the same conclusion, that our execution be completely different. Like when we were talking about on one of the set, we were talking about Sentinel thing in Hannibal. Um, and we were we were on the podcast. We were talking about you know we don't see Hannibal set as a sentinel could be a sentinel and be a cannibal, and that the only way to do it. And like at the same time, we both like agreed simultaneously. The only way to do it would be he'd have to come online as a child, and with those soldiers. And so sometimes you come to the exact same conclusion as somebody. But if we were to write that story, we would our implementation of that would be completely different because we're completely different writers. So um, people can get very worried 
when, especially in fandom, like I said, the fandom is, is a very different defining characteristic because if a publisher put out a um, call for, um, let's say, military heroes coming home on leave, okay? If a publisher put out a call for romances based on that premise, people would go out and write it. And there might be some stories that were very similar and stories that'd be remarkably different. But people wouldn't be worried that they were going to write the same thing as everybody else. But if you take a prompt like that or a premise like that and you tell, put it all in the Hawaii Five O, well, odds are Steve McGarrett's going to be that character coming home from leave. You know? Right. I mean, it's just, <laughs> so when you get into fandom, when everybody's working in the same same basic character set and usually in the same timeline or people there tend to be beloved timelines or, or periods in the show or periods where people most want to fix things. Um, if you give the prompt out, Tony Dinozo leaves NCIS, there's probably going to be a fuck ton of stuff around Dead Air. There's going to be stuff around Requiem. There's going to be stuff around Boxed In. There's certain key places a bunch of people are going to focus on. And yeah, people- if you ask me my three choices for leaving NCIS it would actually be chained dead air and boxed in because I think that moment in chained where he shot that dude in the head could be life altering. Yeah. Very. It could be a divining moment in his characterization. And those are the ones I would choose, but dead air is there, right? Because how could it not be? Right. So you might get a bunch of stories about dead air, right? And now as a people, and sometimes hearing somebody else express an idea that they themselves have had, um, might somebody might feel put off on that idea, right? Like we did the dead air variations, right? Some of the ideas we talked about, Kira and I brainstormed in that podcast, somebody might have listened to that podcast and gone, oh my God, I had an idea very similar to that. That's actually perfectly reasonable. And what I would say to that is I look forward to reading it because yeah. there the tags are my favorite thing in NCIS. And if you haven't written it, why haven't you? Dude. <laughs> mm. Um, You know, honestly, Ellie, um, that thing you did with Alex was beautiful. Yeah, it was. And um, you're only in the corner because you made me cry. <laughs> Shut up, Ellie. Go to the corner. <laughs> I'm serious, though. It was just like I cried. I, I, I am. You know, honestly, I'm. I am rarely moved by other people's work that way. Um, and uh, especially when no one dies. And uh, that moment when he ca- when he calls her mother, I was just. I was done. <sighs> Talk some more, Julie, because that because now she upset me again. You got her. Um, and so. Because Ellie mentioned, I'm going to talk about the Alec Tony is related to the Shepherds thing. Um, I don't know that I was the first person to think of that idea. I know exactly where that idea came from, but I don't know that I was the first person to write Tony related to John Shepard. I can't say that. I mean, there, but I'd never read it before I wrote it. Um, but somebody could have conceived of that idea completely separate of what I wrote. Um, and I think part of what feeds into author worry is that fans can get really protective of the authors they like, and they will go on a mission. Like, did you steal this from this person? Did you, you're taking this idea from this person with attribution. I've been on the receiving end of that. Um, 
I've talked about it before that when I wrote the journey home, that I got some grief from some people off of, you know, during the challenge about lifting Kira's ideas for prides and stuff. Um, Dudes. Especially the pride thing. Made me I didn't laugh do to that. <laughs> it made I mean, the thing is, I, I was wish, amused I by it. I wish you told me. There was just no point. Because the thing is, I've been reading Sentinel. Clearly, these people had never read the Sentinel. The, the actual fandom, right? They had only ever read Kira's implement or her works, which is fine. Sometimes you only want to read a fandom from an author you like. There's some people who probably only read Harry Potter that Kira has written because they're not interested in the fandom beyond that. And that's fine. Um, but to assume then that this one author you read in that fandom is the creator of everything that's in their story is ridiculous. So, um, and I had been reading Sentinel before the Sentinels and Guides AU even started, or known AU even started to exist. So I was reading in that fandom as that whole trope was becoming a thing. And um, I don't even know who first coined Prides. I don't either. I mean, I couldn't tell you where I read it first anymore. Although I can find a bunch of stories written in the early aughts that use that term. Yeah. Um, and some people called it pride. And some, I remember there were some people who called it a pack and pride stuck. And I think pride stuck because of Jim's spirit animal was, can, was canon. Whereas, was, well, well, so was Blair's. But I don't know why pride gelled better than pack did. But it did. And I, there are still stories out there that... Um, I agree with Shadow on that. That, they, that pack stuck because they weren't werewolves. And yeah, and with all the shifter stuff out there, werewolf pack would make people think of werewolves. So, but anyway, pride um, gelled for a lot of people. So people try to fight that and try to use other terms. But whatever you do, you. Um, but anyway, so people get very. I get cat shifters versus canine, but but Blair's Blair's uh, spirit animal is canine. So, but I, I do agree that it's probably the whole implement, implementation of the, the, that it brings to mind werewolves when you talk about a pack. So, anyway, the, my point with that is people can get very territorial and protective of the authors they like, and they will get very protective of their ideas. And they'll say, oh, did you know that so-and-so used your idea in this story? Or did you know that so-and-so used your idea that you talked about on the podcast? And sometimes... Something is so specific that it's hard to believe that someone didn't get that inspiration from something we talked about in the podcast. But other things, it's like they could have come up with that on their own. You know, they could have they could have gotten that idea that so and so time traveled on their own. They didn't need my help. I mean, I talked about an idea where Derek and um, Peter time travel um, on the podcast once. It, <laughs> That pick a character, someone's going to come up with that idea, right? It, it's just if someone writes a Peter and Derek time travel story, it doesn't mean that they got that idea for me. It's just too generic to assume that that's. But even lifted. if they did, unless they lift the whole plot, it's just an idea. It's just, just a premise. It's, it's just a premise. Not, I mean, it's just a premise. It's not an idea. The, idea. the idea is big. The premise is small. And it is just a premise. It's that you know that could practically become a trope. Do you worry about somebody else using a trope that you're using? No. And what I said in the group on um on on Facebook is that there's nothing new. And it's not about the tropes you use. 
the premise that you use. It's about how you how you use it and how you use your words to tell that story. Because that's the important part. The use of your words to tell that story. To develop that premise into an idea. But when you wholesale lift somebody's plot and characters. And slap it down on another. Um, and then write all your scenes around it. That's derivative. It's not transformative. And it's rude not to give credit. Honestly, it's like... <clears throat> whenever I see it, I think to myself. Why couldn't you just be a little bit more creative? That's yeah, why I don't have any interest in reading a, a fan-written version of the Philosopher's Stone. If I want to read the Philosopher's Stone, I'll go read the fucking Philosopher's Stone. I've got the print and the ebook. Right, because just reading um, uh, an internal narrative for a POV character and no events changed, I mean, how boring. It's derivative. So, um, and, and not fun. <clears throat> and for me, fa fan fiction should be transformative. And right. in transformation, that's where your intellectual property rights begin. Just FYI. There is a legal argument to be had that transformative work um, is your intellectual property. That cannot be said for a derivative work. Now, even if it's your intellectual property, and there have been lawsuits that have been won around this, it doesn't mean you can profit on it when it contains copyrighted material. Right. That belong to somebody else. Like their characters. So. But there is a reason why professionals. Like J.K. Rowling. Or Stephanie Meyer. Don't run around reading fandom. Because if they read a transformative work. And that material ended up in their. Work. That, that's plagiarism. So they're not going to take that risk. And, the, and, that, and there becomes a point. That you have to ask. At what. At what point is it a uniquely different transformative expression of an idea? And it's, sometimes it's hard to tell. Did, did this come about organically and it's very similar? Or is this wholesale lifted? And sometimes it's really easy to tell that this was just wholesale lifted from somebody else. Um, and actually, you know, one of my, one of my big pet peeves is when I'm trying to sort something out and I'm trying to work on an idea and I'll talk to a group or I'll mention it or I'll ask and somebody gives me and I, not just me or it's, it's anything I see online or people do this and instead of answering the question and giving somebody an, the advice they want is people give them links to other stories that have done this and how it's been implemented in other stories that is the last thing I want is people to give me other people's expressions of the idea and, oh, here's an example of how this has been done by someone else. I'm like, oh, kiss my ass. That's not what I want. I specifically said that once in a, in a podcast about Cabbage Patch Babies, how I wanted to write Cabbage Patch Babies. And I immediately, I, I got like six links to people who've written Cabbage Patch Babies. That's not necessary, you guys. <laughs> she knows where she got the idea from. Yeah. But, like, if I said I want to write... Um, I expressly didn't do this, but if I had, let's say I had decided I wanted to write a story and where I, okay, where Snape time travels back and raises Tom Riddle. Okay. I did write this story, but let's say I discussed it in public about this before I was going to write it. And I was trying to work out some of the kinks about the time travel. And I'd mentioned this 
And people started responding with all the stories where Snape has t- traveled back in time and, and raised Tom Riddle. I'd have been upset. I'm like, oh. At that point, I'd be asking myself, do you not want me to write this? Are you satisfied with what's been done already and I'm wasting my time? Okay, thanks. <laughs> because this is, yeah, because this is how so-and-so did it. It's like, are you inviting me to rip them off? I mean, what is the point of this? Um, I'm trying to flesh out my own idea. I'm not trying to go and get somebody else's. So, and that can be one of the dangers of bouncing ideas and brainstorming with people who don't understand an author process is that they think they think you do want to rip off other people. Or they don't know how to brainstorm at all. Could be. And they get all of their inspiration from looking how other people did it. Right. I prefer to stand on the box rather than get down in it. That's just me. Right. I actually like being on the box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be on the box. I'm up on the box. If you want to. Um, and if, if, if that's how you're currently doing it, that's fine. I'm not saying it's terrible or wrong and you need to go to hell for it or whatever because I don't even believe in hell. But I think that you owe it to yourself as a writer to expand your process and try to figure out um, how these authors get where they get and how you can do that for yourself. And how you can explore the ripple of decision that you make in your plot without retreading what somebody else has already done. Say you do want to write a story about Harry and Hermione and Draco time traveling. Um, That's great. I'd like to read it. What I don't want to read is a plot by point, point, a plot by plot point remake of my work. (laughs) As flattering as that is, give me something new. It's not flattering. I don't know. Did they credit you? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Did they use your OCs I'm too? Trying, I'm trying to be fucking gracious here, Jillian. <laughs> um. Yeah. I think they did get my OCs too. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Um. <clears throat> When and the that's thing, just okay. one nun do preserve away from being put right. I'm just saying. Anyways, <clears throat> so I'm gonna call myself unoriginal um, here for a second. Um, let's say that there isn't, an, and I don't know this, okay? Because I haven't researched. That's not something I do. Is go see how many people have written the idea I want to write. That right. is absolutely the last thing I want to do. But let's say that there isn't another story like a Leomoto out there. Let's just say there isn't, for the sake of argument here. Now I'm assuming there is because there's probably, you know, what a close to like two, three million Harry Potter fan works, if not more. So there can't not be. Right. But so let's say just for the sake of argument. Impossible. Right. Let's just but we'll say for the sake of argument that I wrote the first one. It's a it's a it's a fun idea, but it's it's ridiculous. It it can't possibly be. Um but we'll say it is. Let's say somebody has read every single Harry Potter fan work and they can tell me with some sort of measure of certainty that it's the first one of its kind. You know what it's not? It is not the first Someone travels back in time and gives Tom Riddle a better childhood and he turns into a decent human being story. Why? Because I know for a fact there's a truckload of Harry Potter did it stories. Harry Potter's done it. Um, I've seen Luna do it. Luna. Um, I think there's one where Hermione does it. At least one, maybe more. Um, there's probably some where Dumbledore takes him in and raises him. But there's Dumbledore definitely... should have to begin with, but okay. Right. <laughs> but let's say for the sake of argument... That, that this was the first one with Snape. It doesn't make it original. 
Because that basic idea, that basic premise of someone traveling back in time and giving Tom Riddle a better childhood and therefore preventing the catastrophe that was the future by making, allowing him to grow into a decent human being, that has been done to death. And what that is for those of you who are keeping up with the nine plots or narrative structures, that's the rebirth. A rebirth in which a dark power or villain traps the hero in a living death until he or she is freed by another character's loving act. It's a little flipped because it's the villain being trapped basically by the hero and, and made into a better person. Um, so that's the, the that, that's the rebirth. It also could be considered in a lot of ways, the voyage and the return. That's like what we talked about earlier. We talked about like, like last month, we talked about the Hobbit and how depending on the point of view, it could be one of several things in, in the arc, whether it be a quest, a voyage in return or a tragedy or rags to riches for those who survived. Mm -hmm. So it's all about perspective, but yeah. it always has been about POV. Which is probably why mystery was always. Not, on his, not on his list because there's almost mystery as a genre at the time that he did that almost didn't have a POV. Right. It was the objective POV was part of the, the shtick for mysteries for a long time. So the lack of um, internal motivation for the, for our hero was a problem. Um, but I think that but, changed with the cozy mystery genre. I agree. Like you got yeah. Amelia Peabody and, um, uh, what you what you uh, murder she wrote, mm -hmm. whatever her name is, Jessica. But my my point in calling myself unoriginal there, right, is that <laughs> that, has, that trope has been done a lot because it's it's a, it's a logical progression, right? What's another way to defeat Voldemort? Prevent Voldemort from ever becoming? How do you prevent Voldemort from ever becoming? Travel back and kill him as a baby. That's rude as fuck. Travel back in time and raise him better. Okay. It's it's really easy to get there when you start pulling the thread of how we're going to prevent Voldemort from becoming what he is. A different. It's sort of defeating him without defeating him. And once you throw one character at it, and I, people probably started with Harry Potter, although why they would start there, I don't know. But people started with sending Harry Potter back in time to raise Voldemort. And then they start sending other characters back in time to raise Voldemort. And the thing is, maybe the first person who did it with Dumbledore or Luna or Daphne Greengrass or whoever. Maybe there was a first person who did it with X character. But it doesn't make them original because the concept is an original. <laughs> Argus Middleton. <laughs> Go to the corner, as <laughs> Okay, as <laughs> Actually, I think the Harry Potter thing comes from um, after he dies um, and the Horcrux is free and the Horcrux is on the platform right. and it's a little baby and it's crying. It's under the bench and Dumbledore is basically callously ignoring um, the Horcrux. And I think that for a lot of, for a lot of writers in that moment, is when a lot of people like, you know what? You're an absolute fucking monster. That's a baby. Mm -hmm. It's a baby there under the bench. And I think for a lot of people, like, you know, what if Harry picked it up? He has to go back. But does he have to go back to that mo? Oh, he doesn't. <laughs> and right. so that's where that, that, I mean, you can see that organically opening up in somebody's brain. I mean, that is really easy for me to see as whether or not that was the first time Harry did it in fandom. I don't know. But that particular moment with that baby, um, that baby Voldemort or 
maybe Tom, considering how little of him is left. Um, it's like, that's a really gut-wrenching moment for Harry Potter. He He's he's seeing a, a, a part of Voldemort that he's never seen before. Of course, then there is a hard moment. Creepy, slashy people. I'm just kidding. Who like to not the slashy part, but the, what? But what's about to come? Um, who like to uh, have Harry Potter go back in time and save Tom Riddle from himself with his dick? You know, like during his um, just before he kills Myrtle. You know, during his hot years at Hogwarts. <laughs> I'm gonna seduce Tom Riddle to good. <laughs> <laughs> her her craziness aside the thing here is you can see how when you start pulling a thread um right it's like i i want this is the thing i want to do whatever it is okay you want to you want to find it you want a way of defeating voldemort before he becomes a problem okay so you're going to pull that thread or you want the expedition to be better set up in atlantis you don't want them to wake the wraith you're going to pull that thread whatever it is when you when you start pulling the thread and you go there's only so many ways to accomplish certain things that make sense mind you there is that whole classification of fan fiction that makes no sense it's like you're sitting there going wait what they wouldn't have, that doesn't make any sense why would they do that because they wouldn't is that and that's when i start to think originality for the sake of it but anyway when you start pulling those threads and you start trying to find your way through is when it starts you start forming similarities to things that have been done before and you just have to accept that you just, you just have to accept that you're not going to be original in that way. Someone else is going to have written something like that already. What makes you original is your expression. It's the actual connection, the words, the beats, the characters, and how you pull it all together is what makes you unique. We could give. That being said, I do have an idea that I think is unique to Hannibal. I'm not going to talk about it though, um, because I did not find a single fic on AO3 that has it. I haven't looked around on the internet as a whole, um, but um, I'm 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 pretty confident no one's done it. And I'm like, what really? How can nobody have ever done it? <laughs> it makes so much sense. It would too. I can't wait. <laughs> is this one? Is this the one we've talked about? It is the one we talked about. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I'm not being a fic tease. I, I can't help it. I'm just really excited to come across something I don't think anybody's done before. I mean, it's not the now, I, the, the, the basic premise is not unique. It's unique for but Hannibal. the method. Well, it's unique for Hannibal. We, you you would have to do a lot more exploration to see if it's unique and if there's other fandoms, right? And I I'm not that bored. <laughs> No, but the but the basic idea of it is is not unique in Hannibal at all. Um, but the execution and the premise is like, what really? No one's done that. Yeah, really. So, so, and, and sometimes you do. Um, maybe, but, you but never the know. trope, but the basic trope is is actually like really super explored in Hannibal. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's sort of like I'm like like I mentioned the um the out like the Tony is Alex Shepard thing, um or Tony's the Shepard thing. Like I said, I had not found any stories where Tony was related to the Shepherds prior to me writing. If found, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean if somebody presented me the story that was was 
written back in 2005, which was before I was even anywhere tangentially involved with the NCIS fandom, that had that element, I'd be like, okay, cool. But I mean, tonight- I wouldn't have read it. But I mean, because I didn't, that was the first one I ever read. And I skipped over the ones where John was banging Tony because for some reason it, and I'm glad I never found one I liked because then Julie would have ruined it for me. <laughs> right. Well, also, you, you skip them because you have a big OTP around. I do have a big OTP. John Shepard has no business um, falling in love with anybody but McKay. He can bang whoever he wants before they get in a relationship, but John loves Rodney. <laughs> And I will now, hear no argument otherwise. Now, does that mean that I think Tony's a shepherd in every story I read? No, of course not. Um, in any story where I can make it feasible in my works, it is there. But it's not; it doesn't work in all of my stories. There's some stories that absolutely does not work. Um, but I did so incept myself into that familial relationship there that I can't read that as a romantic pairing. No. And the weird thing is I was talking about looking for some new pairings for Tony for next July. And someone suggested Patrick Shepard. And I just kind of went. <gasps> and then I said, I just kind of was like, really? Are you trying to troll me? And then they realized what they said. They're like, oh, no, never mind. I, I, maybe I could suggest that to Kira. And I said, you better not. She's not going to appreciate it either. <laughs> no, I won't appreciate it, whoever you are. <laughs> so. You know, but I try to come up with whenever I'm sitting down to work on a project, even if it is, I like tropes. I love them. When I see people bashing tropes, there's no way to write without tropes. I promise you. Someone tells me their story's trope free, I'll be happy to sit down and dissect it and point out all their fucking tropes. Because all it means is the tropes they're familiar with are the ones they're not using. Right? There isn't actually a published piece of fiction on the planet that doesn't have a trope in it. It just doesn't exist. And tropes make people feel comfortable. And that's why you gravitate towards certain tropes, because you like them. You like found family, maybe, right? Maybe you like family of choice as a trope you really like. Maybe, um, and in, in fandom, you know, um, you like uh, time travel where the expedition is better set up in, 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 in uh, SGA. Or you like... Um, there honestly isn't a whole lot of those, and it's like really disturbing. Consider- I, know. I mean, like time travel overall for SG One and SGA is kind of weirdly underrepresented well, in fandom, and that's like it's, it's canon. canon. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to find a time travel method for NCIS, right? Time, it's it ain't hard in SGA. Come on, <laughs> there are a multitude of ways to do this. So, well, thank you, Shadow. Interim is great. So when you, but when you get to working on, um, an idea, okay, to try, maybe you don't want to use. Maybe if it's an idea that's been done to death, maybe you don't want to go the route that everybody else has gone. Like, okay, so let's say Tony's leaving after Dead Air, right? Maybe most of the stories that he, where he leaves NCIS, he goes to the FBI. I can't even say that that's true, but let's say that let's say that it is. Maybe you decide you're going to go a different path than the FBI or Homeland Security. Maybe you decide he's going to become a singer. That's fine, but it, but you're still exploring a tried and true trope. And so, just it's it's part of one of the things we 
kind of was behind this podcast is you got to find a way to have some level of acceptance about this because it's just the way it's always going to be. You're going to hear us talking on the podcast, maybe, and maybe you're already, maybe you're 20,000 words into an idea and you hear us talking about an idea that is remarkably similar to your 20,000 words. Just deal. It's going to happen, especially with two organic thinkers like Jillian and I. Um, we ruminate, we, we, we must have, I mean, I don't want to say it. Um, that whole John Shepard thing where John, you know, sir. Oh, where John sir? goes, sir. I've been reading, I've been reading mission reports. The thing is, is because we did that so much over several different podcasts, that's going to end up in somebody's work. And they might not even remember where it came from. And sometimes, and the thing is, you, you may not. Um, and I'll tell you that that is difficult because sometimes you hear ideas when you hear people talk about a lot of ideas. If you're in a very active writers group, um, especially like if you're over on the Just Right server and you listen to the pod podcast. Um, People are throwing ideas out constantly. And if you're involved in the Farm Bunnies group, either on MeWe or on Facebook, you're getting exposed to ideas. Six months down the road, you come up with an idea organically on your own that is not, as far as you know, related to anything you've heard, doesn't expressly, you know, you're sitting there thinking, and maybe subconsciously that thing is there from something you heard on the podcast or something you saw on the Just Right server. But in that moment, it came to you organically. And are you going to be able to remember that you heard that on a podcast three years ago? No. No. I don't. But it, it, in the end, it's just a premise. It's right. just a premise. And I don't think really, on, I mean, honestly, in order to wholesale steal somebody's idea, you have to go in and wholesale steal their idea. Because that's like plot points and characters and action. And it's like scene structure. It's it's an immense amount of on purpose shit you're doing. Yeah. Which isn't the same thing as deciding one day out of the blue, Hey, I'm going to write a time travel story with John Shepard and he's going to be a pain in the ass and the people pay attention to him. Great. I look forward to reading it. Have fun. And might not ever remember that podcast. I listened to four or five years ago. Or it won't even be John at all. Maybe it'll be um, an entirely different fandom that they're in. So, hey, I'm going to have my character time travel and then be a complete pain in the ass to everybody until they pay attention to him and do what he says. So because the circumstances of that podcast will fade from your brain unless you have an, what do you call it? Edactic? Edetic. Edetic? Edetic memory? Um. And so the likelihood of you remembering the exact context is is surreal. I mean, it's no, you're not gonna. And that's perfectly okay. No one, no one remotely reasonable would expect you to. I don't remember what I had for breakfast last week. Wait. One day I had a breakfast pocket. I had these little um they're not pitas, but they're little like little bread envelopes. They're whole grain. They're really good. And I thought I I was like, I didn't have any bread, right? And I was like, that's just a trap fucking travesty. And I had this little toasty thing, this little bread pocket. And I thought, well, you know, if I put that in the toaster and heated it up and then stuffed it with eggs and bacon and some cheese, as one does, um, that might not be bad. 
And for the record, it wasn't. It was pretty great. (laughs) But other than that, just because that was like a unique experience for me during the week, I have no idea what I had for breakfast. (laughs) Right. I mean, the only reason I remember anything I ate today is because there was a tragedy around part of it. Oh, your poor cupcake. That poor cupcake. Otherwise, it'd just be a blur. A spider spider ruined my cupcake, y'all. It was sad. So the point is, is if you want to ask me a question about something I said on the podcast a year ago, you need to let me know in advance so I can listen to that podcast so I will know what I said. <laughs> yeah. Even I mean, if it's about a personal thing I did at the grocery store, you're going to have to remind me of its of its happening because. Yeah, no. it's interesting. People think I remember everything we say on the podcast. I don't. I have to go back and listen to them if I want to remember some of this stuff. I mean, Even if it happens to me, I've forgotten it by the end of the month. Right. I mean, I had somebody asking me something about something I said in a podcast. And I was like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Like, none. Because I didn't remember it. I mean, once I listened to it, I was like, okay, I remember this conversation now. But I didn't remember it then. So, um, and I talked to people every single day about story ideas that they have um working it out what do you think of this and sometimes people ask me does this seem familiar to you this idea i'm like all ideas seem familiar to me what is your point and the thing is is that i think sometimes those discussions are around them wanting reassurance that they're not lifting my idea or kira's idea or um whatever and um but the thing is, here's the thing, is even if you took an idea we talked about on the podcast and you wrote it exactly as we talked about it on the podcast, we don't, we've talked about it before. We don't own ideas. I can't own it. Kira can't own it. It'd be great if we could, but we can't. All you can own, all I have is my expression of an idea. And honestly, most of the stuff we talk about on the podcast, there's, t- there's a few occasions when we've specifically said we're going to be writing this for Rough Trade or whatever. How many hundreds of ideas have we talked about, Kira? I think she's I honestly moving. couldn't say. It's I couldn't a lot. Say how many. What percentage of those am I ever going to even consider writing? A tiny, tiny percentage. And if somebody else and I did wind up writing the exact same idea, it's going to come out completely differently. So I'm not going to care. Yes, credit is nice if I inspi- if I inspired you. If I inspired you, credit is nice. It's not necessary because I can't own an idea. I can't own, especially can't own a premise. If someone tells you they own time travel, oh, I, I own that ch- idea. I own the idea of time travel. No, you don't. Shut up. I'm going to go trademark the word dark. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> that that would be dumb. <laughs> you can't. You just, you just can't. I put... Um, I put a, uh, I'll put a link in the library because someone's going to ask me about those stupid um, bread pockets. Um, they're called Smart Pockets. Um, and it's by Jilly. Pronounce that company name for me because. Uh, well, I can barely read it. Um, T O U F A Y A N. That looks like a V to me. Tufayan? Tufayan? I don't know. Tufayan, Tufayan. Anyways, I got them um, in like the, you know, the deli section where all like the fresh bread is and, you know, in, in your grocery store. Like like where you would find Pita and, and Nan there. Um, and it's a little bread pocket. Kind of like a Pita, but it's square. It would, it, it would fit in a toaster, I think. 
most toasters. Um, it was very good. So anyway, so the idea, the point of all this is relax. It write what you're going to write. Your expression of it is going to be original. Um, if unless your intention is not to be original. The only time I ever get wrapped around the axle in any fashion is when I've talked about what I'm going to be writing for Rough Trade and someone then goes off and, and writes what I'm going to be writing for Rough Trade ahead of me. That, that seems That's aggressive. shady as fuck. So. It's rude. I mean, but the thing is, there's nothing I can do about it and I wouldn't do anything about it. I wouldn't even go say anything to them about it because I can't own an idea. And it's a risk I take when I talk about my ideas publicly that someone's going to do that. It's shady. They know it's shady. They don't care. Which, which is why um, you guys didn't get a podcast of her rough trade idea until after she wrote it. And it's not that I think particularly that anybody would. And it wasn't even that I thought somebody would go and do that. Because I don't de tend to think that somebody's going to go and take, you know, listen to the idea that I'm putting forth for my rough trade and go run right off and um, work with it. But the thing is, in the event that it would happen, it could put me right off my own story. So it was just that kind one of, time it actually did happen. Yeah, it did okay. happen. So, um, and the thing is, it, it did almost put me off that story. And I managed to kind of pull it out, but it did kind of put me off. And I just didn't want to go through that again. So I stopped talking about stuff I actually intend to write in the very near future on air. Um, one of the one of the exceptions to that is um, the shifts verse, which I am actively working on. But the the reason for that was to it was kind of illustrative to kind of help people with what an idea bounce looks like and how it can be productive and how it can be helpful. And that's why we went ahead and did that one. Um, but, you know, I mean, on the other hand, one of the things I will say is, especially in the case of the shift verse, where almost my entire plot is exposed. Um, if somebody were to write that verse ahead of me, I'm covered if someone comes at me and says, oh, so you're copying so-and-so. I can be like, maybe you should go listen to this podcast. <laughs> but the thing is, is that unless they wholesale took your whole idea... You know, we we threw out tropes like mad bitches during that thing. I mean, we explored every known possible trope that's possible in Teen Wolf, from the hail fire to to Claudia being a tree. Yeah, we talked about a lot. I mean, so it's like I think the only thing we didn't talk about really we we talk about time travel, but we did talk about a lot of big tropes. So like anything, any trope that could possibly work with the basic premise of Victoria Argent is not a terrible human being. Anything that could work with that, we talked about it. We threw it out and explored the ripples. And that's really what you do when you bounce with somebody. You, you look at the possibilities and you explore those ripples to see if those ripples are attractive to them as a writer and if they're not you throw it away like one of the first things we actually threw away was the hail fire because we recognized that if we changed all these circumstances the likelihood that kate would come to beacon hills for the soap with the sole purpose of setting that house on fire and killing the hails was unlikely almost impossible so it got tossed out right so um we did wind up working with Kate in a different way um, where her, her target really was more Victoria than the Hales. But 
the point is, is that when you're, when you're exploring stuff, you're going to, you're going to go down all kinds of weird paths. And that's why I put that up, you know, made an exception and said, let's go ahead and put this up was because, um, I've seen a lot of unproductive bounce sessions with people lately. And so I said, you know, we could do this and let it kind of be like a, an example of, of how to do an idea bounce. Um, but did you notice that during that, neither one of us actually brought up other stories that had done it. We weren't sharing links back and forth. <laughs> Here's how this has been done by so-and-so. And actually one of the things that I got after that was links from people about where Victoria hasn't been a horrible human being. And I was like, okay. They, they weren't, they, they were trying to be helpful. Right. So, I mean, and so I didn't think, and like I said, I think I said even in the podcast that I, I'm, I'm sure it has been done. That someone's redeemed Victoria Argent. Redemption arc's not a new thing. And I'm sure it's been done that Victoria's been redeemed. But it's not something I had read personally because I had no interest. Because I find, you know. I find the character very difficult to work with, which is where the whole thing got started. But anyway, my point with that, bringing that up, is that that is an exception of I'm typically these days not talking about stuff I'm actively working on because of when someone went ahead of my rough trade and wrote the idea I was working with. Um, Took your central premise. Let's be yeah. honest. It's more than a set. It's a little bit more than central premise in that case. And I'm, I don't want to get specific or even talk about which idea it was, but um, it's a very specific plot point that the whole thing, which would be actually the central idea, because that it's, specific yeah, plot it was point, your pin. right? That specific plot point was the central idea. And there's a difference between the central idea and the central theme and the story's premise. Those things are all very different things. And it was the central, the central idea, the main plot point of which the whole story hinged. And they, that's what they used. And I was like, I, it's not like I could just pick a different central idea. <laughs> it wasn't like it was one plot point and I could change it. And the thing is, I didn't even mind them using it. I minded that they used it before I did. <laughs> That's what bothered right. me. So, mm. Also without attribution. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so I just, when it comes to something I'm working on actively, like right now, I tend to not talk about it as much as I used to. Just because well, I, I don't... One thing. Honestly, attribution will save you a lot of headache. Attribution means that you won't have some popular writers, readers going, oh my god, you stole so-and-so's original character. Well, if you attribute it, they're not going to accuse you of stealing. Probably. I mean, because there is an asshole who never reads the author notes. Right. <laughs> but you can't control readers' bad behavior. You really can't. Can't control author bad behavior either. So, while I do discuss sometimes things I'm working on, if I'm actively writing on something I, and I don't want someone fucking with my happy space about it, I will wait to talk about it publicly. I just do. That's, that's kind of where things are at right now. And the shift first was, was unusual in that regard lately. Um, so we went down this, we went down this whole path because it's about the idea that if you're in that moment where you are worried that, someone's taking your idea or someone took something from you or that you you're going to be perceived as having taken something from somebody else you just got to relax 
You just got to take a deep breath. No, we can't control what accusations people might make. But I mean, Kira and I are going to be behind you. If someone gives you a hard time about something that was on the podcast, we're going to be behind you that we don't own ideas. We would totally back you up 100% on that. Now, if your story has a bunch of dialogue straight from one of Kira's stories, I'm not backing you up on that. That's crazy cakes. That's plagiarism. That's a completely different thing. Anyway, but th- this came up uh, recently because um, some people have expressed some worry to me about a couple of things that come up on the podcast that were similar to things they were working on. And um, one person even offered to send me their story to show that it, they were working on something that was similar to what we were talking about on the podcast. I'm like, whoa, slow your roll, man. You're okay. We weren't talking about anything groundbreaking. We were just noodling. <laughs> we're just... We're a just- lot of times we'll noodle shit that we'd never write in a million years. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, I don't see myself writing particularly any of those dead air variations. I'm not saying I never would. I'm just saying that none of them um, have crossed my mind as something that is really, you know, caught my fancy. You know, you know what I mean? It just doesn't seem likely. There was one or two that kind of stuck in my brain, but I haven't really felt like I needed to rewrite dead air. I felt like I kind of got a lot of that out of my system. Um, but, you know, I can't say that I would never pick up one of the things I mean, I thought that about, whole leaving, Tony leaving NCIS out of my system, probably with feeding frenzy. <laughs> right? I actually really enjoyed um, DeNovo for the fact that he didn't leave and that he owned his problem and that he moved on like a boss and got his own team. I really enjoyed that. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Don't walk away. Shove your awesome in their face and make them see it every fucking day. <laughs> you are the best. That's right. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I um, like there's actually one of the ideas that we talked about for MCU that I found more interesting than than uh, what? I'm just checking something real quick. Sorry, but one of the things that I found more one of the ideas for, sorry, I got distracted for something. One of the ideas for um, MCU was when we talked about, we each did a, I think, we, you and I both did a plot drift for um, Jarvis time travels. Yeah, that has so I, much appeal, actually. The problem with that is, is both of us plotted both of our plots. I don't know who plotted what at this point. I have to go re-listen to it. Yeah. And I have been hesitant to do so because... Um, I was like, "What if the if thing you like my plot more than your plot, you can have my plot." <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't even know. It might even be a conflation of the two. It was just. It was so enmeshed that <laughs> sometimes that happens with a podcast like that, though, because there's so many you know explorations of different tropes and principles and ideas and premises, and it's just like it just goes all together. And I'm like, I'm not even sure who said what. Right. Exactly. So, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be mad because I'm looking forward to reading it. <laughs> yeah, it was, and then we did a take two on that. We did one where Shuri um, puts him in the hammer, and Thor brings him back, and he takes the younger he um, um he takes the place of his younger version. Yeah. That was, um, and then you and I did a take, that was in the original podcast, and then you and I did a take two that would be um, more compliant with Shuri being 
erase in the snap. I don't want to yeah. spe- get the specifics about that, but we talked about that separately because once once Endgame came out, um, mm-hmm. we're like, well, if you're gonna if if you're writing canon divergence from Endgame, it can't be Shuri who sends them back because Shuri dusted. So anyway. So we did, but that that one has really stuck with me because a lot of the stuff we came up with was really interesting. But most of it, I mean, like we talked about the last, was it the last plot drift we did was the the Eddie Competent Adult versus the Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would write any of that because we talked about how neither one of us are interested in writing fourth year fic, um, right? And I tend to not write Hogwarts era stories anyway, so. I'm precariously close to finishing a first year fic. Um, it's um, Harry's a sentinel, and Hermione's his guide, and they have no fucks to give. Yeah, and nothing is Smurfy. <laughs> That's not Smurfy, man. Now, mind you, <laughs> as a result of reading, um, the first is chapter it? is on EAD. It's called the Lion and the Raven, or the Raven and the Lion. Raven and Lion, I think. It's very, it's it's very inspiring. He's eleven. He's not ripping off anybody's arm at this point, but he's just he's eleven. Yeah, and he's got an attitude problem. <laughs> now, as a result of reading, what is your story this month called? Why am I blanking um, on it? All the wor- oh my god, oh, Jillian! Oh, all the world, world. you <laughs> named my story. I did, yeah. But the thing is, is that you know, I I lost a lemon cupcake today. I I have I have reason. Yeah. <laughs> Um, lemon cupcakes are my favorite, so this is a sad, sad thing. Um, and they make their their this place I get the lemon cupcake from. They make a Italian meringue buttercream with lemon curd in it. So it was really sad that that wound up f- frosting down on the carpet. Um, a spider landed on me, and I flipped my cupcake off my lap. <laughs> That's how the cupcake was lost. Arachnomort take two. Um, yeah, on carpet. Right? <laughs> I didn't oh. actually do a bounce session for my RT this time. I thought that we did, but I don't have anything saved. We just um, did two quantum bang ones. I think maybe it's part, it might be buried. Some of it might be buried in your quantum bang. Hmm. It's entirely possible, but see, I have a I have two quantum bangs, and I have LH's quantum bang, and I have your quantum bang. Um, well, one of your quantum bangs, we drifted all over the place for a while, sort of like how I did true. for my. So we talked about multiple fandoms, so it might be in that. Um, we got all the bangs, yeah. So, and I got I got Lady Holder's quantum bang. Did I already say that? Um, so. Did, and I did one with Tangerine. I did one um, with Elspeth for, um, for, and um, it was excellent. And I also did one with Kaya for original project, but none of those are available to be um, uploaded yet. So, but um, yeah. And the one I did with um, Tangerine was really, I thought it was really good. I'm really hoping that she both, the thing is both does the story and that she gives us permission to share that bounce because it was a lot of fun. Um. Yes, they'll, they won't come out until after the Quantum Bang. And the people who bounce may choose not to let them be released. That's their prerogative. Right. Um, but anyway, sometimes, um, especially as time passes, 
it's hard to remember where an inspiration came from. Um, and sometimes a, a, a an idea is as vague as, oh, I was talking about all the world. Um, in reading all the world, uh, I got inspired for a first year fic that has no resemblance at all to um, all the world in the story execution itself. But it still was like, there's like this moment in all the world that triggered that idea, right? So you never know what inspiration is going to come from. Um, and it's just, just, just relax. Fandom makes this harder. It makes it so much harder because of the shared character set and the same shared plot points and canon. And that shared canon makes it feel more like you're taking things from people or potentially taking things from people, you know, like, or you're worried you're going to get accused of taking things from people. You just got to take a deep breath. If you're inspired by somebody, just own it and move on. Nobody owns an it's, idea. It's easier. Yeah, it is easier to just, to just say, say you're inspired. inspired. So here, I'll talk about this. This is, um, this is vaguely. It's weird because one of the things I talked to Kira about is I actually try really hard to be transformative and not derivative. I try really hard at that, right? Like, I don't want to be derivative of anybody else's work. I don't want to um, just tell somebody else's story. I don't want to retell canon. I want to take my own spin on it, right? I, I, want, I do like my tried and true tropes, and I try to avoid cliches a little bit. Um, but so, Kira and I are having a conversation, and I'm, 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 this is credit and blame, a lot blame. Over the course of the month of November, Goblin started to sound like a slur to me. And that's totally Kira's fault. And so we got to talking about it. We got to talking about it. And like, why does this feel so yucky, right? Because I'm sitting there looking at some of my Harry Potter works that I'm trying to work on and going, I'm having a hard time with the word. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't want to abandon my Harry Potter stories. I'm like, but I don't want to just wholesale adopt somebody else's world building. So we're talking about like, why does this, is, I'm like, so is this a case of just like one story has utterly corrupted my head canon or what? So we got to talking about it. And we talked about how Tolkien meant Goblin, not in a positive way, right? It was not intended. Goblin was not intended to be positive. And when J.K. Rowling adopted goblins, she didn't intend them to be a sympathetic magical species. She intended them to probably be perceived negatively, which didn't help. It didn't help my conundrum, right? About the fact that my perception of the word goblin was bothering me. And I usually write goblins as a force, as a, as a positive force in my Harry Potter stories. So it was a real struggle. Um, I'm like, well, I don't know what to do about this. And so we got to talking about, well, you could just go with the idea that they are, you know, the dwarves or Duero. Duero? 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 I don't know. I'm not even. Duero. 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 That's what I say. Um, I'll go with Duero. Duero Dam for the female. Right. And we, so we're talking about, do you go with dwarf? Do you go with dwarves? Duero? Um, Kira favors Duero because cause she likes the word Duero Dam, which I think is cute. Um, if we got to talking about, do you just use that instead? Um, but it, I don't know, how do I say this? It started to feel 
um, as I was pondering the whole Duaro thing, it just started to feel like I was using your world building with different labels. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that the word I chose, diverger, which I know I'm not saying it correctly, but that's how I want to say it from my thing, since I kind of adopted a foreign language word, actually just means dwarf. It literally means dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> right but see my point is is that i started to feel like i was jumping through hoops okay to avoid using kira's world building while using kira's world building <laughs> think about it right so i'm like i don't want to be derivative but this actually makes so much sense i'm having a hard time not wanting to use it and so i come up with like using duaro instead but all it is is it looks exactly like her world building just with different labels on it which is ridiculous so at some point, you see what I mean? It's absurd. So at some point, it's better to just say, I was very inspired by Kira Marcos. And I'm hijacking her diverger concept. Because otherwise, it just looks like I'm trying not to use her diverger concept while using her diverger concept. Right. And why reinvent the wheel? Right. Now, I would discuss this with Kira. I'd make sure she, because using somebody's an OC with attribution or using an idea, but so using somebody's whole world building concept, I feel like needs a little bit of a discussion. Well, like when I posted Ties That Bind, one of the first things I did in my author note was acknowledge that the, a great deal of my original world building um, that I um, that I built my world on top of the world that Zancy built. Um, and it would have been rude not to acknowledge that because I was directly inspired by her. I'd not read anything else. Is she the only one who ever written who um who who wrote a BDSM world? No. Have I read those? No. <laughs> Where else am I supposed to go with it? Right. I I read um, the General and Doctor Shepard, and I thought, huh, I can do something with that. <laughs> and that's what that's that that's the genesis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be sort of like if I were writing a Ties That Bind story. And actually, I, I'll tell you, I did. Um, this is how it started. When I talked to Kira about writing Ties That Bind originally, um, but before she offered to let me write the, you know, the Tony part of it and have it be, like, canonically acknowledged as part of her universe, I was trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, trying to come up with, well, what pleasure houses would I have to come up with, thinking I needed to. But it just... It's obviously her world building, just with different labels on it. That piece of it, the pleasure houses, right? The B the BDSM world, some of that is obviously built on Xanthi's world. But what Kira did with it then, and so at some point Kira and I are talking, she goes, Well, why are you why are you trying to rename the pleasure houses? You know, kind of and I was like, Well, don't I need to? And she says, No. <laughs> Do you want to just do you want to write the Tony Dinozo part of the story? And I'm like, yes. She's like, well, you can. <laughs> I'm like, okay. For the record, um, someone's claimed CSI and um, Julie has NCIS. I'm doing Criminal Minds. And Senna, who's in the chat room currently, hello, Senna, is doing Hawaii Five-O. She wrote Tsunami Bomb, if you guys haven't read it. Um, and uh, so there are quite a few um, people who've already written in Ties That Bind with my permission and with me as a beta so that they can, so we make sure that we stay um, consistent with one another on the same path together and we don't have contradicting canon elements. It's not about me being in control. It's about making sure that 
um, the canon stays consistent. You know, the kind of thing that you wish people did on TV. Don't you wish there was somebody in charge of NCIS to make sure the characterization in canon stayed consistent? I sure do. <laughs> That's what I'm doing with them. I'm, I'm not bossing them around, though. Yeah. But my, in all of that, so I've been through two different experiences where I've been really entranced with elements of Kira's world building, where it's easier to just talk to her, acknowledge that that this was something she created. And then the rest of it is, you know, my original idea on top of these world building elements that she's come up with or with her world building elements as a factor and just go with that. But I think people just get so uptight and believe me, I get it. I get it. Otherwise I wouldn't have been trying to figure out a way to, you know, reinvent the wheel while, while not calling it a wheel. It, it's going to be square, not round. Well, how is it going to work? Shut up. <laughs> it's a fucking wheel. <laughs> it's fucking, is it, is it going to be functional or decorative? Because a square wheel doesn't actually work. Um, it looks cute, but you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> it is perfectly okay to explore the same concepts and um, premise and, and just dig deep into ideas like cabbage patch babies or inexplicable babies, um, which I'm really, I really adore inexplicable babies. Yeah. I also really ignore inexplicable. I'm not going to ever explain it. Male pregnancy. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I just do. Because honestly, I don't want the technical de details of a male pregnancy. Okay, so let's clarify. I've read stories where people try to explain how a male preg is possible in a contemporary setting. I'm horrified by the end of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it being just inexplicably some men happen to be able to get pregnant. Okay, whatever. That's fine. But inexplicably one man is suddenly able to get pregnant? Hmm. Hmm. But it's just being a part of the world that some men can get pregnant. Some men carry that gene. I'm like, okay, don't explain it. I'm fine with that. But just one dude, just one dude. And it's not ever explained how that happened. It's like, now, wait a minute. You can be inexplicable, but you can't be ridiculous. <laughs> I, I encountered that once. And so I, I wrote the, I, I don't often ask questions of writers, but I wrote them and asked them if the character was trans. because so I thought that would make sense to me that he could get pregnant if he, you know, is a trans man. And she wrote back really offended and told me no. And I'm like, why is that offensive? That's not offensive. But apparently it was. <sighs> Needless to say, I actually stopped reading her work because of her response to my email. Because she was so outrageously offensive, offended that I thought she wrote a transgender character. And I was like, you know what? I'm not ever reading you again because you're disgusting <laughs> to think that that's an insult. Wow. It's not an insult. I mean, I read a, um, I read a teen little story where some men were capable of, of carrying children. There were doctors who specialized in male pregnancy. It's never explained how that came to be in the world. It's just a genetic quirk that some men have. I was fine with it. I didn't need any more explanation than that. Um, and as a matter of fact, the author did a great job of lampshading it because at one point when somebody was questioning it, Styles says, do you want me to explain to you how my junk works? And, the, and Scott goes, no, no, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> but 
There is an inexplicable baby fic in Hannibal. I got real mad at Abigail for not for not letting me have the birds and bees I conversation know. because Abigail, I didn't know. Right? It was, I it, needed to know where babies come from. Because there's this moment, this wish baby, where she's like, "How did this?" And he goes, "Well, when two people love you," she goes, "I know where babies come from." And I was like, "I don't." Oh, Abigail. <laughs> it was great though. Great fic. Fabulous fic. It's called With a Crown of Stars by the Hoyden. still cannibal. (laughs) It's in the link library. It's called With a Crown of Stars by the Hoyden. Um, But honestly, you can't go wrong with the Hoyden. You really can't. I've never read a single story by the Hoyden that I I wasn't charmed by. Even that nice kidnapping one. I mean, she's just... They are just fantastic. So, um... Anyway, sometimes you're just lifting an idea from another author because it's really the only way to do it. Otherwise you're doing what I was trying to mentally do is reinvent the wheel that still is a wheel, but with a different label on it. That's not a wheel. It's a turning <laughs> device. <laughs> Shut up. And it just looks like what it is. It's derivative without you trying not to be derivative. So just, just own. But your- you could take the diverger concept and turn it on its head and I won't say why, how, because then that will make people be like, well, now I can't use that idea, Kara. <laughs> well, but I'm I just saying sh- that I- acknowledging an alternate name for their species doesn't have to change anything else about them. Right, right. But you and I did talk about a different ex- approach to what you'd done mm-hmm. the other day, uh, which I won't mm-hmm. discuss because I am going to use that. But um, I plan to use them in my um my steampunk AU. I I would well because Goblin has become so offensive in my brain. If you wrote another story with Goblin in it, I would actually be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, however, if you actually edited a story or two to take Goblin out. Don't think I haven't thought about it. There isn't a single Harry Potter story on my site that is not subject to a surprise edit where the term Goblin appears. Because it's like ingrained in my brain that it's a slur. And I'm like, I can't get over it. I know. That, Thankfully, and that, I've never really used them a lot in my work. Yeah. They've been central. I have. So it's been, it's a problem. Which is why I was. I, I was think they're most central my... probably in Small Magic. Where I didn't use the word goblin for them anyway. Because that's where my diverger concept emerged from. So. <laughs> but Sin is poking me. but there are sometimes you get a concept um and you just need to use it wholesale the way it is or some variant of it right where you are being derivative to a degree um and just just own it just acknowledge who, who who came up with that idea and then go off and do your own thing with it i talked to kira about two different ideas that would both use the diverger and they don't bear any resemblance in the plot to what Kira's done with all the world. Um, so, but I shared this. I shared this experience of these two instances of trying to reinvent the wheel on my part, because at the end of the day, it just still is. It's derivative with different names on it. So, you just sometimes you just got to go with what works, what's already there. Your steampunk AU is which fandom? It's Harry Potter. We did a whole podcast on it. That's what I thought. I was looking for the actual podcast. 
so I could link it. Um, but basically what happens is, is that the Department of Mystery finds a dimensional um, node and they think it's broken. Um, and Hermione is living on a world where the war is over, but Harry Potter was killed as a child and she's the adopted daughter of Minerva. And um, I do have a small excerpt on the workshop. Yes. And um, she is working at the department of mysteries, but she's a, she's a muggle born who was adopted by a half blood. And so she's living in a very discriminatory um, situation and her, employees think think the worst of her um and jenny weasley is um one of her subordinates and she um thank you i was looking for it but i could not find it for the life of me um did the search box work for you yeah because it did work for me well you have to you have to search here's how i searched was this i searched kira steampunk and then when i did that I have to click on episodes, not podcasts, because a podcast isn't going to give you. Well, fuck me. There it is right there. That's bullshit. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> and so she's like the direct, she's like the head unspeakable. And um, they bring this note in and um, her uh, employees ask her to come look at it as she's getting ready to leave for the day. So she gets her coat and her bag and she goes in there and they push her into it because they hate her. And they think that it will kill her. But what it does is kind of blow up half the ministry. And it throws her into a um, different dimension. And she gets tossed into their Harry Potter's garden. And when um, his um, his butler, etc., um, finds her, he goes and gets Harry. And Harry um, comes outside and he checks her over. And he picks her up, takes her into the house. And then um, later he tells his godfather, it's like she fell from heaven. <laughs> so but yeah and it's a steampunk and we did a whole podcast on um like um magical uh transportation and um how we could do um like what you call those um like the hindenburg airships and um just like that like because her because his whole world is magical everybody on that planet is magical um during the black plague magical people came across a lay lake of magic and they thought maybe they could take people who were um, infected with the plague there to save their lives. And they did, but it also made them magical. So they started gathering up every muggle they could find. And there wasn't a whole lot left because the plague was really terrible. So by the end of it, there was only magical people left because magic is what saves the population from, from the black plague. And even now, if they find somebody who doesn't have magic, they get invited to go to the lake. Do you want to go take a dip? <laughs> And if a baby is born without magic, they get a dip, you know, throw so, them, because, just throw them in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go for a swim. And so everybody on the planet is magical. And so when um, Hermione asks Piper, who is, um, uh, who kind of tangentially works for Harry, um, what about muggles? And she's like, well, what's a muggle? <laughs> she has no idea. They're an entirely magical society. So. It's a whole, it's a whole new world. And anyway, that's, I only, um, I only vaguely podcast. remember the, I only vaguely remember this podcast, but I think it was, it was five years ago. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I have, known... I have two or three chapters written. It's one of my 100 works in progress. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've known Kira's been working on a steampunk AU for Harry Potter, but beyond that, I, I couldn't tell you a single thing that was in that podcast because that is, 
that's the nature of memory, right? I'll be lucky if I remember something that happened a week ago. <laughs> if, the high if, elves, um, no, no. I had to pick my elements. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the the podcast is almost entirely world building. We we talked about various things, whether or not it would be like um, um, because at, at one point we even talked about a world where magical people lived in a separate kind of dimensional pocket where they had a whole world, um, and that magical kids were invited into this world when when they get their letter to various schools, um, and that kind of evolved into my head until Hermione getting thrown into a portal that basically sends her to an alternate version of earth where everybody is magical and they have like a steampunk magic thing going on. Yeah. Cause technology would have evolved differently with just magicals at the helm. Right. Um, so if you're listening to the podcast, if you're out there and you hear an idea that you want to work on, work on it. Attribution is nice. If you hear an idea that you're already working on, don't panic. Get your towel and relax. <laughs> okay. Did you did you love that line? Did you love it? Because I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I'm I'm writing a first year fic where where Harry Potter is a sentinel, like I said, and and he, he he's at Hogwarts. He's getting ready to unpack his bag, his pat his trunk, and he opens his trunk to get ready to go take a shower, and he looks down and he says, "He's got no towel. I don't have a towel." <laughs> Douglas Adams would be appalled. <laughs> yes, I was. I I laughed my butt off. <laughs> so if you're having that moment okay so here's what you do if you're having that moment you're already in process on a story and we talk about the idea that you're in process on take a deep breath get your towel put it over your head and calm down <laughs> and the thing is you don't need you don't owe me an, an explanation you don't owe Kira an explanation but if it makes you feel better to reach out and say I heard it's on the podcast I've already got this kind of story in process I'm that's fine. You're welcome to, you're welcome to clear the air if it helps you feel better, but it isn't necessary. Okay. Okay. And if anybody ever gives you a hard time about something you wrote, just, and they say, oh, you stole this from so-and-so. You could just forward them to Kira's fuck you page. She's got, she'll even add a rule for you. Or, you know, <laughs> we will come to your defense we will come to your comment section and, you know, wage war on your behalf if necessary. If that's what you want. I don't, I try not to wage war on people's comment section uninvited. <laughs> I've, I've done it a time or two. <laughs> I've done it a time or two, but I try to try to behave myself. With your shield or on it. If, I do recognize people can be assholes about this kind of thing and nobody wants to be the target of people's assholery. Um, so if you're, if somebody's giving you grief, just give us a call. We'll get the Burt squad together. We'll be over. Yeah. Gird your loins <laughs> and grasp your keyboard. <laughs> Burt squad. <laughs> we'll have come up with a towel. <laughs> That's pretty much all I got. So I've got a towel. I've got a towel and I've got a very annoying keyboard, apparently. I will put up an hour of it chittering for you to horrify people with. 
when I hear my keyboard, when I'm listening to podcasts and I hear my keyboard, I go, oh my God, that is such a nerve tingling. It makes my skin crawl. It doesn't sound like that to me, but recorded through, through my mic, it's, oh. it's like, a, it, it, it's like scarabs. It's like, it, it's like those scarabs yeah. in the mummy movie. Yeah, it really is. Actually. But I've I've had at least half a dozen people now ask me to record it as like because they like it. Like you little weirdos. Anyway, do you have anything else on the "There's nothing unoriginal under the sun" kind of thing? Oh, there being nothing original is not. So people use that as an excuse to plagiarize. Um, that's not what that's about. The idea, the point is, is that your originality is not going to come from you finding some heretofore unexplored trope or you finding some heretofore un- unexplored um, narrative structure or narrative arc. It's just, no, it isn't going to happen. That's not where it comes from. It comes from the words you put together, how your characters interact. That's where your originality is. And just embrace that. Just go into every project thinking, I'm not that original. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I seriously, when I work on, especially when I work on a Harry Potter project, one of the things I psych myself up for is this is going to be trope tastic. There's going to be nothing new here. <laughs> it's just nothing the way it new is. Under the sun. Look, we're There's... never going to be Mary Shelley, and that's okay. We can try to do her proud, though. That's right. Um, but speaking of Mary Shelley, the next time some little shithead tells you that you don't need to be in the sci-fi fandom, you remind them that a woman birthed that fandom and they shut their fucking pothole. That's right. Because Mary Shelley is the mother of science fiction. And you whip anybody's ass who says otherwise. I'd like to mother a whole genre, but... <laughs> It seems pretty daunting at this point in history. <laughs> it seems pretty improbable, honestly. I mean, what what genre would that be? I Although, mean, you know, people do... It seems like the genres that get birthed these days are really unpleasant things. So, yeah, you know, I won't. I won't do another ABO rant. <laughs> Hannibal is not a genre. And that's actually rapidly becoming a genre. Yeah. What is? The ABO thing. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. I mean, it's even wound up in I don't court. think it's very far from having its own category on Amazon. I agree. Because, I mean, someone tried to claim ownership of it. <laughs> and it wound up in court. And, you know, I'm still amused. I've heard I heard about this a, a while ago. I am still amused by the because think about the general demographics of your average judge in America, and think about someone explaining to him ABO and its origins in fandom, and what ABO is and self lubrication and male prag. I am endlessly amused by some judge. <laughs> I mean, some like author who wasn't in fandom tried to claim ownership of the ABO. Yeah, she tried to claim ownership as a as a, a copyright because she claimed she owned the idea. Well, you can number one, you can't own an idea. You but can't. number two, did she get left out of court because? Well, yeah, but that cocky bitch got knocked out, left out of court too. Yeah, 
She, I don't think she's lost her trademarks yet, but her attempt, the way she was attempting to um, implement her ownership of the trademark, the judge just kind of, he basically, every, her, her service, basically her service mark is upheld, but her use of the word cocky, he basically struck down all of her, her lawsuits about it, told her to go away. But, but what I read the accounting of it, um, they basically so there's this all of these rom it's it's mostly het romances you know shirtless men and busty women and um the two different sides of of the the of the court case both of them with the word cocky in their title right they have these enormous poster boards with these book covers and they're walking them into court and they're explaining to the judge the nuance difference between these books with cocky in the name don't know why this amuses me so much, but it does. And the, and, the, and the judge is like, so this one, it's a cocky doctor. And in, in this one, we're presumably judging by the title, it's a fireman. <laughs> and you think that readers are not savvy enough to be able to tell these apart because they both use the word cocky. Yes, Your Honor. He's like, uh huh. I think you're underestimating the reader's ability to appreciate nuance. <laughs> told her to get the fuck out. But just the idea of that—these big—think about your, that kind of romance cover, right? The shirtless firefighter, right? That's just wearing his suspenders and his. <laughs> and and they're trying to explain the nuance of the difference about a cocky firefighter versus the cocky doctor. Except she wasn't even the first one to use that on a title. I mean, she there wasn't. were. Like many books that were much older than hers, um, so but the whole thing is ridiculous. You it cannot ridiculous. copyright a, you cannot trademark a single word. It is that is ridiculous. Oh, Senna, I don't think I, I I think somebody already beat you to that. Probably because there were a lot of people trolling her through Amazon titles. Um, as for the dark thing, she the author retracted all of her uh, trademark applications. So all of her common word trademark applications like leopard and Carpathian and dark. I mean, like that's dark. actually a place. Yeah. And the people. Um, she got her, the public shaming was pretty epic. And um, she retracted it with a statement that said that she had done it on the advice of her lawyer. The thing is, she wasn't, a, uh, the, the cocky thing was a word as it pertained to series titles only. Although the author abused her trademark award on Amazon and got anything taken down with the word title, a word cocky in the title, which was not what her trademark said, which is why, which is why it wound up in court because she had been bludgeoning self-pubbed authors trying to get their, getting their work taken down. And Amazon's position on it is if somebody's got a trademark application or got a trademark is they'll take the work down. You guys sort it out. And it, it's just makes it's me want to trademark her name and then yeah. send out a takedown request. But this was a small self-pubbed author that did this. It was a big scan and it was a big scandal because it got awarded by the time anybody noticed it. But the Which is now dark, we have a Twitter bot <laughs> that right, tells called, us every time somebody does a trademark. It's called the Cocky Bot. You can follow Cocky Bot on Twitter. I do. And I do. so Cocky Bot let us know that Dark had been, somebody had submitted an application and not in a title, just as a generic, not, not in a series title, but just using the word Dark in a title she was claiming to own. 
not with dark. any logo or stylization or font. Speaking of which, the lady that did the cocky thing, her actual logo had a had a had a font that wasn't legal to use for um trademark. Can't for trademark profit it. or trademark. Yeah, she was she was she shouldn't have been using it on her book at all. But um so this author, and she's actually a big author. She decided to submit a bunch of words she's used in her book titles. And some of them were like Dark, Leopard, Carpathian. There were like seven of them. And um, she submitted in the word being used at all in a title of the book, in the series. And people lost their minds, as they rightly should have. And she eventually, well, she blocked a bunch of people on Twitter to avoid ne this negative stuff from appearing on her feed. But... Um, she um, issued a statement that this, those applications were put in at the advice of her lawyer and that she had been retracted. She'd retracted them. Now, I, I'll be honest. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe that any lawyer advised her to do that because she's with, I think she's a penguin and I don't believe her agent or her, um, her publisher knew that she was doing that. Considering cocky gate, it feels like a, 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 a publicity stunt yes thank you it was not coming out of my mouth <sighs> publicity not good publicity though because her readers were really her readers were really pissed that it looked like she was trying to punch down on lesser known authors and i think stephen king might have something to say about her getting a trademark on the word dark yeah considering dark tower yeah so Anyway, she retracted her applications for any of those common word trademarks. And uh, it's just bad behavior. And this is this is what it's come to, right? And this does, it, this seems probably seems like a tangent. But um, it's not unrelated, right? The idea that people get so territorial over something that they've put out that they want to try to own every piece of it they possibly can, even things that the law already says you can't own. An idea, a song title, a book title, a word. It's just, that's just not the way that works. Otherwise, it starts to become a limiting freedom of expression. When people own so many words that you just can't use them. Kim Kardashian's attempt to trademark the word kimono. And come on. <laughs> I mean, Kylie trying to trademark her name. Um, I Like she's the only person to ever have that name. Right. Not 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 as a logo, not as part of her brand for her makeup or her fashion, but just as her name. It, it was just like, what? I think Kylie Montague might have a little bit to say about that. Plus all the other colors that existed before you were even born. And the thing about being awarded a trademark is you have to enforce them or you lose them. And you have to enforce them fair-handedly like you can't just enforce them again so like if she were awarded she wouldn't have gotten it but if she were awarded a trademark on the word dark she couldn't leave stephen king out of her enforcement of that trademark so you mean she had to send a takeout takedown notice to amazon to remove stephen king's dark tower then she would have had to have sued who is it hbo or showtime who's doing the dark tower series i think showtime but i could be very wrong about that I would like to have seen that, actually. 
It'd have been hysterical. But I mean, that's the thing is a lot of times these authors these days are trying to pick up these trademarks so they can punch down on these smaller authors and get thin out the competition. Is what this is what they're doing. Is and I can't say for sure this is what she was doing because she didn't get her trademark awarded. But that's what we're seeing this kind of behavior is, is it's punching down on indie authors or authors from small publishers who don't have the resources to fight back. But then they turn around and leave the bigger authors alone who have publishers who would be all over them, um, who have agents, they don't bother them. And what happens in that situation that they're not, that they're not thinking about from a legal perspective is when you don't enforce your trademark, you lose it. So if she had been awarded a trademark on the word dark in a title and she didn't go after Stephen King, she would have lost that trademark. But this ridiculous, she never would have been awarded a trademark on a common word. Generic, a generic trademark on a, on a, on a, because she, she applied for it generically with no respect to font or series title. Like she it's, made the word up herself. Like it was a completely right. unique word that she made up. <clears throat> yeah, that's what, that's what, what's the, that's the thing that she's saying on Twitter. My lawyer told me to do it. I did it on advice of my lawyer. Sure. Well, the thing is, so here's the thing. She hired a New York IP lawyer to do these patent applications. So her lawyer may have told her to go apply for a bunch of words, but then she went out and found an IP lawyer to actually do the patent applications. And they chose to file for them in the broadest term possible. So that if you use the word dark on the cover of a book, she would own it. Or the word leopard. Which is crazy. It would, that would have never gotten through. Okay, and if it had, by some bizarre chance, it had gotten pulled, it had gotten appealed. But the point is, is that I use it as a ridiculous example because if it had been awarded, and she only went after small authors who had the word dark, and she left Stephen King alone, it's grounds for her trademark to be repealed. And that's one of the things that happens is when you start trying to own all your stuff. I'm going to own everything. I'm make up some really bizarre series title, and I'm going to trademark it so that nobody else can use it you are then in a cycle of having to enforce that trademark forever or lose it. And is it worth that hassle? I mean, maybe, maybe if you're a big author who's got a very unique um, series title, um, the frisky priests of Buccaneer Bay. I mean, sure you go and you, you trademark that. I don't think anybody else is going to want to use it. The thing is they can't really. Yeah. His dark materials. So that'd be Pullman and HBO, Stephen King and Showtime. It's just as crazy. Getting better by the minute. And the thing is, though, is one of the reasons why this is ridiculous is because if you have a really unique series title and the reason you don't need to trademark it is because if you're already using it and somebody else goes and tries to trademark it, they can't show that it hasn't been in use already. And that's one of the questions on the trademark application. If you're already using it, they can't show that it didn't already exist because it does. It's on your book. I agree. It's unique, but it doesn't. But the, the fact that it's unique and it's already out there is why nobody else is going to get a, a trademark called Discworld because the book already exists. So um, anyway, it's just these, what these shenanigans about is people get very uptight about the idea of idea ownership. And there is no such thing. It's why that one author got in so much trouble about accusing Nora Roberts of plagiarism of a book title. And it wasn't even. And Nora's actually came first. And by there's months. Proof by months. Yeah. And, 
and there's proof, right? And the thing is, that she just talked to her publisher instead of going off on Twitter. Her, they're in the same publisher. Her publisher could have said, Nora's book's been in, in the works for months, honey. You need to take a chill pill. Um, but people get so bent. And the thing is, that there is proof right there that two people came up with the exact same book title independently. It's not, it's not that difficult. And instead of just recognizing that not every single thing that comes out of your brain is unique in the universe, people get bent and they go get on Twitter and they ruin their careers. Y'all miss all the fun drama on Twitter. Yeah, somebody said in the chat room that um, a small bar used a picture of Grumpy the Dwarf and Disney had to send them a removal demand. And that's what they have to do is once they become aware of it, they have to do something about it because that's trademark enforcement. What do you mean, Rogue? So I guess the real thing that take away from this is that um, just don't be rude. <laughs> Attribute where you're inspired. Attribute when you use the original characters of um, other fanfiction writers. The thing is, is you wouldn't write fanfiction and not attribute the original fandom. So why would you take somebody else's original character and not attribute? Why give respect to somebody outside of our community, but give no respect to somebody in your community that you have to interact with on a regular basis? It's weird. I, somebody basically wrote fan fiction of Emergence. Okay, it's out there somewhere. I don't remember. I don't even know what fandom it, it's based in. They used the entire world building, which is fine. The entire world building. Some of my OCs. But... There's no mention of me. There's no mention of the original series. And it, it doesn't even explain a lot of the backstory stuff that comes up in Emergence. So it actually apparently doesn't make a lot of sense. And so it's, it's, it's fan fiction of Emergence, which is actually fine. It's weird that my name's not mentioned anywhere. Anywhere. Except in the comments where people are asking. Doesn't seem a lot like. And they go, oh yeah, and the author responds. Oh yeah, it's based on so-and-so. Um, that, that to me is, I mean, it's fine. If someone wants to write fan fiction of my, of that story. I mean, I don't care. I've, I've said that on the thing, but to not mention it just leaves people asking questions. So, um, but anybody, anybody who plagiarizes you, if there's plagiarism of your words, you should definitely do something about it. Report it to the archive. If it's the original work, um, you should talk to your publisher or send them a, um, I don't know. Do you send a cease and demand? I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how, an, how a self-pubbed author would approach somebody plagiarizing their work, but plagiarism is a little bit different than the idea thing we're talking about. Um, I do think there have been some idea plagiarism that have gone to court, but it's a lot harder to prove. And a judge has to basically sit down with. And read like, both works. Read both um, works. A long time ago. And I forget which publisher it was, and there could be somebody in here who would know. Um, there was an author who plagiarized a fan fiction story. It was a Star Trek Voyager story. Paris and Chakotay, maybe? Is that his name? Uh-huh. No, it was Paris. Um, and she basically took it, scrubbed it, put character names of her choice on top of it. It was a um it was a 
modern AU fix. It was actually really easy to do. They were both cops, I think, maybe. I don't really remember. I remember reading it at the time because I was kind of really startled because I knew the author in question. Um, and the fan fiction writer, um, this got pointed out to her by one of her readers who happened to also pick up this book at this publisher and say, hey, this is, is this you? Did you scrub your own fan fiction? And she's like, no, that's not me. And so um, this particular author was actually quite popular. And the publisher, this book was out for about two or three weeks before um, it got found out to be plagiarized. Um, and so the author contacts, the, the fan fiction author contacts the publisher and says, hey, your author plagiarized my work. Here is a copy. I'm, 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 here's a link of when I originally published it. Um, and uh, there was lots of back and forth. And eventually the publisher cut the fan fiction writer a check. Not royalties because she couldn't make money on play on um, fan fiction, or maybe she did get royalties for it because it was like a modern AU. It it um, it wasn't like a, a Star Trek Voyager story. Um, it was. It had the characters. But you know what I mean? It was kind of like you know Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but better. Um. Anyways, um, I'm not, I'm not gonna kick that dead horse. Um, the author got uh shunned the professional writer got shunned. Um, there isn't a publisher that was still around, that was around at the time that will work with her because she plagiarized a fan fiction author. And there are probably authors, you know, pro writers out there who think that they can do that because fan it's fiction writers, fan fiction. because it's just, it's just fan fiction or fan fiction writers. And the thing is fan fiction authors aren't allowed to profit off of fan fiction. It doesn't mean that a writer can steal their transformative work. And, because and, the transformative and, work does have intellectual property rights attached to it. And right. don't let anybody else tell you different. There's a difference between not being able to profit and not owning your words. So, but it ruined her career. And rightly so. Plagiarism should ruin anybody, any writer. Any writer who plagiarizes, it should ruin their career. Because that's bullshit. That is that, I mean, there's actually been some pretty big ones that were caught plagiarizing there was that one historical romance writer who like she wasn't plagiarizing other historical romance writers she was plagiarizing like newsletters and stuff of like herbal medicine and crazy ass shit like she didn't want to do like she would wholesale copy and paste bits of research into her work instead of like rewriting it like from nature magazines and um you know pioneering magazines and you know like just like weird shit weird shit then there was that person that plagiarized Nora roberts and that's a whole new ball game <laughs> and we won't talk about that either <laughs> but worse that lady that was doing the historical romance not only was she plagiarizing like from these newsletters and these magazines on how to be a pioneering woman or whatever but she was also plagiarizing between her own books now you think that's not a problem but it is when you sign a contract for a book you were you were telling that publisher that the content of that book is original and yours. Now, if you go to a different publisher to contract a new book, which this person did, and parts of that book are taken from a book you've published elsewhere, you are violating that publisher's rights to publish your work. 
Because what a contract is, is, the, is normally it's first or second print right. Sometimes it'll be third, depending on the author's backlist and um, all that stuff. But when you give your work to, a, when you contract your work to publish, you are telling that publisher that they have the, right, the, the first print right to that work. But then if you take parts of that work, stick it in another book and publish it with a different publisher, or even the same publisher, it's fraud. And if it's with a different publisher, it also crosses into plagiarism and intellectual property theft because now two different publishers have the first print rights to the same material. And that's fraud. Just FYI. So the now, whole... that was a tangent. <laughs> it was a... But it's, not, it's a tangent, but it's, it's an on-topic tangent because people get so wrapped around the axle on the idea of that's mine. And... When it comes to writing, pretty much, with a few exceptions, all that is yours is the full expression of your of the idea. The full expression, which means what you've written. That's yours. And if somebody else writes the exact same idea, or if you're in a group and you say, oh, I've got an idea for this, and somebody else goes on off and writes it too, that, that may happen. And honestly, if you're very creative and you have really good ideas, it's probably going to happen to you. It just you just got to learn to find a way to deal with it. You just got to learn to. It's sort of like the whole idea of um, all the things you when you. There's a lot of things about being professionally published that I wasn't sure I wanted to deal with, <laughs> which is why I think I hadn't made that step until um, recently, and there's some elements about being in fandom and some of the things that you encounter that kind of may go, okay, I guess I'm ready for this now. Um, but it's just find a way to come to some kind of peace with that. If you can't come to some kind of peace with that, you need to not talk to the people about what your ideas are. Um, you need to not share your work. I mean, that's what it is, right? That's, that's isolating yourself. But by the same token, if you're going to not share your ideas, should you then make sure you don't listen to anybody else's? Because it's it's not a one way street, right? It, it's it's yeah. kind of is it kind of disingenuous to openly listen to other people's ideas and potentially be inspired by them, but then hoard your ideas because you don't want to risk the idea of someone taking it. When I'm in a bounce session with um with another writer, um, I don't consciously hold back anything. And anything that I give them during that conversation, hey, do this or do that. I mean, what do you think of this? What do you think about that? What if this happened? That's not, you know, once it leaves my mouth and enters their ear, it's theirs. Because I, but I didn't show up to that bounce session for me. So when you hear me bouncing with Lady Holder or, or Jilly in these up upcoming conversations, I didn't go into either one of those conversations with the expectation that I would have some sort of ownership of the idea at the end. Because that's bullshit. It's it's selfish and it is not um actually it's 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 very toxic creatively to be that way. What was that quote that create that, that creativity ha um has no something about the more you give away the more you receive or something like that. Yeah. The more creativity you give the more creativity you um um you receive something like that. Uh Yeah, I mean, you know, inspiration is 
it's oh, it, it says you can't, it's the Maya Angelou quote. It says the more you can't use up creativity, the more you use, the more you have. And I think that's true. I do think that creativity is a, it's a very renewable thing. The more you express it, the more you have. The less you express it, the less you have. So if you are very stingy with your ideas, if you really don't like giving anything away, it, I, you could, my, my start might start feeling creatively stifled. Um, now the thing is, here's the thing about, I, I'm with Kara, when I go to balance with somebody, whatever ideas come out of my mouth to help them, they're going to, I expect them to use what, what they, what they like and leave what they don't. But however, I will say this, it is my brain. And if I'm ever writing a story that goes down a similar path, odds are that I will have forgotten the conversation I had with them. And that same idea might occur to me because I can't control the way my own brain works. So if Kira does a balance with me about a Harry Potter story and she helps me with an idea for something to fix a plot problem, I, I can't even say what, because this is just a random example. I know she doesn't have any intention of me not using that, right? She expects me to. A few years might go by and she has a similar thing she's working out and the same idea might occur to her there. Why? Because it's her brain. And that's the way her brain works. <laughs> sometimes sometimes my brain works and sometimes it don't. Sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you wish that Mounds had milk chocolate on it. Right? That was my sadness when I was a kid. Is I didn't like almonds when I was a kid. I love them now. I love Almond Joy now. And I like dark chocolate now. So now I wish that it was Almond Joy that was dark chocolate. But when I was a kid, I didn't like dark chocolate and I didn't like nuts. So I wanted mounds to be covered in milk chocolate, but that wasn't the way it was made. <laughs> now I want a dark chocolate Almond Joy. It's just, it's weird how these things reverse. <laughs> so the point of all of this, folks, is just... I guess, the, I guess the whole point is keep a hold of your towel. It's going to be okay. This is where you say that thing. Not to be a... Not to be a lesbian, but... <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. <sighs> we need to do that. There, somebody posted on, on Facebook with uh, this thing... This is a, I want to say it was a Twitter post, a screenshot yeah. of a Twitter post that says not to be a lesbian, but, and I think, I think she said something like, I'm going to start sentences from the, in the future about not to be a lesbian, but, um, <laughs> so now not to be a lesbian, but you know, <laughs> keep a hold of the your towel. About how in kissing girls and da da da. And then in it, it said, fuck, I'm gay. I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> She's totally being a lesbian about it. Yeah. Just keep holding your towel. You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, I know anxiety is hard to deal with. I think this is the thing that frustrates people the most is when you hear people talking about something you're already working on or something you want to work on. And you, it's like, you're going, I already had that idea. And it's, it. Oh my it, God, Kira, shut the fuck up. Stop talking. <laughs> I get it. I get it because you're like, it, it causes an anxiety to well up. Are people going to think that I took this idea from Kira or from, you know, or from um, Lady Holder or we have a, we have some really creative bitches over in the, and, and I include, I include you gentle people, all of you gentle people 
of any identity in the bitches group. You know, you just, you all bitches. <laughs> all of you heifers are very creative. <laughs> and <laughs> there's a lot of ideas flying around, right? And so it can be, it can be a source of anxiety for some people when they see the idea they are like, at that moment writing that they haven't told anybody about go skating past their screen and they're like oh my god what am i gonna do just grab hold of your towel and don't panic it's gonna be fine but one more thing on this and then we'll stop beating you around the head with it um when you're in like a big group of the people and you're throwing out ideas and stuff um keeping score on that front and eight months from now leaving a snotty message on somebody's feedback form telling hey you know that was actually my idea and you didn't give me credit y'all or worse you get on somebody's comment form as they're writing a work in progress and guess their plot and then when it comes true you get pissed off because they didn't give you credit for the thing you guessed that they were already going to write dudes you're right that's petty as fuck don't be that person no like they're ever going to be, I, I don't know how many messages have passed through this chat room during a plot drift. I mean, sometimes, I mean, many hundreds of, of, of people, I mean, not people, but, you know, comments will pass through a plot drift and we'll pick up those ideas. And as we're talking, I would, I would have no ability whatsoever to tell you who said what. No. And I shouldn't have to keep up with that kind of shit. Seriously. Don't be petty like that. It's it's really it's really deeply unattractive. And if you're like that as a writer, you will quickly find that other writers don't, don't want anything to do with you. Nothing. So the two sides of that are is if you're the person who's constantly trying to claim ownership of shit, go away. Honestly. Bye, Felicia. Just, just, just yeah, bye. Just jump right the fuck off the server. We don't we don't need you. But if you're the person who is anxious, we're here to help. Okay, I will help. Kira will help. If it helps to share your idea so that you feel like you've cleared the air, you can do that. It, it, but it's the thing is, it's not for our benefit. It's not for my benefit. It's not for Kira's benefit. That is strictly so you can calm down your anxiety if that's what you need to do. But only do it if it helps you because I don't need it. And, and I, I have don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I have had that conversation repeatedly with people where they're like, oh my God, this thing that was discussed, I have this idea and I'm already working on it. Like I said, one person offered to send me their story to prove they already had it in process. And I was like, darling, calm That's down. It's okay, baby. It's okay. And I understand where the anxiety comes from. And part of it is this culture of people who want to own your shit. They want to try to own what you've written. If, they make a random comment in a chat room six years ago and they're going to remember it for all time and eternity. And they're going to chase you down and go, you didn't credit me. And it's like, you got a page on Kira's site just for you. Go get that link, Kira. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually over there right now. Are you? So, but if, if it helps you, and I promise you, this is for you. It's not for me. If it helps you to have that conversation, to clear the air and say, I'm already working on this, you are welcome to ping me. We can have that talk. But don't feel like you need to because I don't feel like I have any proprietary interest in your story. What you do with an idea, you do you, boo. That's the best, best use of you do you, boo, ever on this podcast. <laughs> 
all of you take the same idea and go off and do crazy shit with it. That's great. We could send everybody off to do a, a first year Harry Potter story. And there's going to be a bunch of a bunch of similarities. There's going to be a bunch of shopping trips, a bunch of first year schedules. There's going to be a bunch of shit that looks exactly the same. There's going to be, you know what, a lot more differences because you're all different people. And you got your tribe over here. You got it on the Just Right server or on the Quantum Bang website or on, um, where else do we, Rough Trade, the Rough Trade forum. We got your tribe. We got your back. We will help you out. You're an asshole trying to claim that you own my stuff. We've all gotten <laughs> that, right? It's like, oh, I, you, I'm so glad you took my idea. I was like, oh, honey, that's cute. That is the fastest single way on this planet to get your comment just completely deleted from my site. And if it's not, if it's your only comment, okay. But if you have other comments, I'm going to go delete them too because I'll be furious with you. Kira is a spite deleter. You don't need to. I, uh, you don't need to go there. You'll have wasted your time. That's the reason why I don't like posting words and pro works in progress outside of Rough Trade because I legitimately don't need your plot advice. Really, truly. Um, okay, I'll sh I'm going to share something with you guys about idea. The, the crushing, the crushing blow it is when somebody else has your idea. When I was eight years old, well, seven, eight years old, starting at about seven, is when my parents decided that I needed. To, I was old enough to go pay for gas. This was my mission in life for my family was that I'd get out of the car and I would go inside and I'd give them the money and I would sit there and wait for change. And I'd take it back. And so I'm seven and eight years old. I remember the age very specifically. And there's reasons why I remember the age very specifically, which at seven would have been for me in 1980. And since my birthday is in January, it would have been, you know, the whole year of 1980 um, and 1981. And my thought, I sat there in the car. I was so irritated at one point when I was eight years old having to do this that I thought we needed a way to pay at the pump. <laughs> Someone needed that way that my dad could pay with his credit card at the pump so that I did not have to go inside and pay for gas anymore. In 1982, the very next year, they started using pay at the pump in Europe. It hit the United States in 1986. The first time we were at a pay in the pump, pay at the pump gas station, and my of my mother, she used her credit card. I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed <laughs> by the universe <laughs> that someone else had come up with my idea. And y'all are laughing because it's ridiculous, right? Because someone was eventually going to address this problem. They weren't going to wait for me to become an adult and solve it. But I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed on behalf of my eight-year-old self that her idea was not realized <laughs> by her. So <laughs> Somebody else realized her idea for her. This is the nature of ideas, though. Okay, it is very rare, very rare in the world of stories anymore to have a unique, singular idea that no one has ever had before and that no one else could possibly ever come up with. So that's my lesson. I don't think from anybody who's ever cleaned a litter box didn't consciously wish that the litter box would clean itself before there were litter bays. <laughs> I mean, right? it's like... I really wish. Are you getting in front of the dishes? I really wish something would wash these dishes for me. Mm -hmm. Dishwasher, right? I have had many an idea in my life that has been realized by somebody else who had the same idea. It is great when that happens. 
I only remember the gas station thing so vividly because of how much I hated always having to go and hang out in the gas station and wait for change. I remember that very vividly. So it was, and I remember how old I was too, because I started getting my boobies when I was eight. And that was part of why I didn't like being in the gas station. Oh, right. I guess that's mm-hmm. interesting about the China, because the one thing I do not put in my dishwasher is my really good China. Right. And crystal. Yeah. We have a bunch of, um, got, my mom gave me all of her Waterford. Um, and uh, yeah, I would never put that in the dishwasher. I don't know why anybody put a cast iron skillet in the dishwasher unless you just literally don't like your cast iron skillet and want to ruin it. So you don't have to ever have to use it again. If you're just planning to use it Which as a weapon. Which I get because they're heavy. They are heavy. but and they, I mean, if you're only planning to use it to like bash skulls in, I guess it doesn't matter. But I mean, if, if it was specifically made not so that to save China from being chipped, it's just funny that that's the last thing I would put in it. I mean, because my, my really good China, I'm like, what? No, bitch. <laughs> It'll get all scratched and stuff. <laughs> dishwashers. I mean, you, these days you can't put anything in the fucking dishwasher. Everything is top rack dishwasher safe. <laughs> it's recommended that you wash it by hand. I'm like, it's fucking plastic. I can't put it in the dishwasher. I'm putting it on Jesus the top Christ. rack. Most I, of the time, I, if it tells me I can't put it in the dishwasher, I'm like, fuck I'm that. I'm on the top rack. See how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> the a big exception to that being aluminum. Right. I learned, that, I learned that lesson the hard way. It's like when they say don't put aluminum in the dishwasher, they're not kidding. Um, Shit, we don't need to watch the funny videos from a southern thing. Kira lives it daily. I, I lived it as a child, so I might have flashbacks. I could star in one of those videos. I've said most of that shit. Some of it today, probably. Probably. Um, Anyways, I think we've explored this topic. Probably more than some people are comfortable with. There's going to be somebody okay. who's going to listen. That's going to be somebody who's listening to this and go, oh, I wish they hadn't said that. They oh, were talking bitches. to me. You heifers. It's okay. It's okay. If you think we're talking to you, actually, we're probably not. Actually, I'm probably (laughs) not because I try try not to talk to specific people. And when I do, I tend to call them by name. It's like, listen, you hussy. I probably am because I'm Southern and that's what we do. Anyways, um, I hope you guys have a fantastic week and that you learn something from this podcast and you walk and you're walking away from it feeling a little better about your process and about um, about creativity and inspiration. Um, and don't forget your towel. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>